Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and ideas for building happier habits into your daily life. This week is episode 120, and as we do for every 10th episode, we're having a very special episode. We will be answering listener questions about the four tendencies. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and of course, the four tendencies. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who is one of my very favorite obligers. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA and the co-host of the new podcast, Happier in Hollywood. Yay! Yay! (laughs) And Gretchen, like many obligers out there, I wish that I were an upholder like you. (laughs) We'll get into all that, never fear. Um, But before we dive into the four tendencies, we wanted to say congratulations to Kristen Meinzer. Yes. Yes, our fabulous producer has her own podcast, which is launching officially tomorrow. You can listen to the pilot episode, which is already up. And the name of the podcast is Buy the Book. So Kristen, will you tell everybody a little bit about it, what it is, um, and about your co-host, Jolenta Greenberg? So Jolenta is this amazing stand-up comedian. She's a Moth Story Slam winner. She's hilarious. I love her to death. And she is a major enthusiast of all self-help books. Of course, she's a super fan of yours, Gretchen. And and as you know, Gretchen and Liz, I'm a little bit more skeptical about Uh a lot of the Mm self-help books out there. But in our podcast, with our odd couple dynamic, we embark on living to the letter a different self-help book every episode. So Uh, It's kind of like a reality show. It's kind of like a self-help podcast. (laughs) And it includes a lot of audio diaries with our long-suffering husbands as we try to live by the different books. (laughs) So the the first one was The Secret, which I loved. But next, right, you're tackling Con Marie. Oh, gosh, that life-changing magic of tidying up. (laughs) Is it Mm life-changing? Oh, not always in a good way. (laughs) No spoilers. I won't tell you what happens over the course of the two weeks, but it's a little challenging at times. I cannot wait to hear that. Oh, I cannot wait to hear. Well, um, so everybody check out the podcast. It's called By the Book. And Kristen, we're so excited for you. Thank you. And thanks so much for your support, you guys. Such a fun idea. By the Book. By By the Book. Yeah. So listen, this this very special episode 120 is dedicated to the four tendencies. I'm so excited because I'm obsessed about the four tendencies and just want to talk about them all the time. So this is like dream come true for me. So Gretchen, I know we've talked about these a million times, but for anyone who doesn't know, why don't you just briefly explain what the four tendencies are? Right. So the four tendencies are upholder, questioner, obliger, and rebel. And this has to do with how you respond to an expectation. And we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations, which is like a work deadline, and an inner expectation, which is like your own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, but nobody else cares. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they meet the work deadline and they keep the New Year's resolution without much effort. So they want to know what's expected of them, but their own expectations for themselves are, are just as important. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They hate anything arbitrary or inefficient or irrational. And so in a way, they turn everything into an inner expectation. They won't do it just because somebody on the outside is telling them to do it. But if they're telling themselves what to do it, they'll do it. Our dad being a classic questioner. Yeah. And Jamie, my husband, is also a questioner. So, yes. And then obliger. And that's your tendency. I'm an upholder. You're an obliger. Obliger, by the way, is the largest tendency. This is the one that the largest number of people fit into. 
So you either are an obliger or you have many people in your life who are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So they find it much, much easier to keep the work deadline than they do to keep the New Year's resolution. And then there are rebels. And rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. And if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. They don't even want to tell themselves what to do. Now, most people can kind of figure out what they are and what the people around them are pretty easily just from this quick description. But there is a quiz online, 630,000 people or something have taken it (laughs) at happiercast.com slash quiz. So if you want to take a quiz and get kind of an official answer, it's happiercast.com slash quiz. And of course, as always, I'll put all this stuff in the show notes. But like I said, most people know what they are pretty quickly. Like, Elizabeth, didn't you? You pretty quickly knew what you were the first time I sprang this on you. Yes, definitely. And Gretchen, it seems like the real advantage of knowing what your tendency is, is that once you know what it is, you can sort of um, strategize about how to get yourself to do the things that you want to do. Yes. And also, it helps you if you understand what the people are around you, and we'll get into some of that with our questions, (laughs) it helps you manage your sort of feelings about people. Yes. Because You know, if you're dealing with a rebel, you don't have to take their behavior so personally because, you know, well, this is just what they do. Yes. And if you have an obliger, you can say, well, let me be an accountability partner for this person so he or she can go to the gym. So it's like it really helps with habits and just getting along with people. Absolutely. And that's the great thing. Like you said earlier, like you were an an obliger who wishes to be an upholder. But if you can build in the structures in your life so that you effectively act like an upholder, you might need to set things up to get yourself there. But uh, you're exactly right. Once you see kind of the mechanisms of it work, you can you can take steps that let you hack it so that you get the result that you want. There's a couple things I would say about the pretenders views before we jump in, just because these are things that came up over and over and over again. One is this is a terribly narrow slice of your personality. It's incredibly important because it's like, why do you do what you do? And how can somebody get you to do what they want you to do? But you could take 50 obligers and they would look completely different from each other because they would be, Mm. how curious are they? How intellectual are they? How ambitious are they? How neurotic are they? How anxious are they? How adventurous are they? How considerate are they of other people? All these things mix up. And so you might seem like a very different kind of person. But when it comes to this idea of, are you going to meet an expectation? There would be these very distinctive patterns. And so it doesn't over explain. Sometimes people think it tells you a million different things about yourself. It doesn't tell you a million Mm. different things about yourself. It tells you one important thing about yourself Mm, and other people. That's a good point. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is I really truly do believe that these are hardwired inborn aspects of our personality. They're not a function of age or whether we're at work or at home or our upbringing or birth order. I think this is just part of who you are. I think sometimes it's true that people do change tendencies because they've had a near brush with death or a major struggle with addiction or they're taking medication that has profound consequences for how their personality manifests or some kind of, I mean, every once in a while you run into someone who is truly changed. But I think that's pretty rare. Most people don't change that much. So I think for most people, the tendency does remain the same over time. So those are just kind of things that people ask me over and over again. And now we can go into more specific questions. This comes from Katie, who's an OBGYN, and she notes that she's also a rebel. So 
Her question is, it would be wonderful if you could explore applying the four tendencies to patients and how best to quickly determine a particular patient's tendency to best motivate them to stick to a treatment plan. The field of medicine would be eternally grateful. Well, this is a really interesting question, and I hear from doctors and other healthcare professionals all the time because they get really frustrated because they don't understand why people won't do the things that would obviously help them to be healthy. So if you're wondering uh, how to quickly determine someone's tendency, it's very important not to observe their actions, but to understand their reasoning. You can't tell from the outside which tendency they are. You have to understand why they're behaving the way they are. But a really good question to ask is, how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Because upholders will Mm. usually say they love resolutions and they'll keep them. Questioners usually say something like, I'll keep a resolution if it's important to me, but I wouldn't wait until January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. They use the word like arbitrary. Obligers will say, oh, I like the idea of it, but I've given it up because so often I've let myself down or I've learned over time that I can't keep them. Mm -hmm. And rebels are like, why would I ever chain myself like that? I would never make a resolution. So that's a good question to ask. And it's not like, do you make New Year's resolutions? Because maybe an upholder wouldn't make them. It's how do you feel about them? And then obviously, depending on what people are, then that will dictate how the doctor sort of approaches them to get them to follow the treatment plan, which makes perfect sense. It's like somebody might need to email the doctor once a week to report that they're taking their medicine, whereas somebody else would benefit from reading 20 brochures. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You could talk to a patient very differently uh, once you know what their tendency is. Well, thank you, Katie, for that question. And I would love to hear from other doctors, um, see if people are using the four tendencies and if it's working. I think it's a great idea. Okay, Gretchen, our next question is from Dawn. She asks, do you have any tips for how an upholder like me can empathize and understand my rebel child who also happens to be stubborn? How can I set boundaries and in general be a parent without making both of us crazy? Your usual advice for dealing with rebels is to do nothing, but that's not really an option when she needs to wear shoes to preschool, wash hands after the potty, not by her sister, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Well, that is a very good question. And we hear from a lot of people who want to know how to deal with a rebel child. Yes. And I and I understand this because since Dawn is an upholder, that's the opposite of being a rebel. So um, one of the things that's been hugely helpful to me in writing the four tendencies is to really get a much better understanding of the rebel perspective. And the first thing I would say, Dawn, wrap your mind around the idea that, hey, no one has to wash their hands after they use the potty. Mm. You don't have to do that. To a rebel mind, when you have to do something, that is a very high bar when you have to do something. She doesn't have to do Mm. that. And she has figured that out in preschool. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing, the tremendous thing that I've gained from the rebel. We're more free than we think. We have a lot more freedom than we think we do. Mm. So how do you get a rebel to decide they want to do something? Now, just to use that example, one thing to do that often works is identity. So let's say this child has the identity of being a considerate person, you know, caring for others, which most people have that identity. So you could say something like, you know... When you don't wash your hands after you use the potty, you could spread germs. Now, that might not even Mm. make you sick because you're young and you're really healthy, but you're spreading germs and maybe like little babies would get sick or people who are weak or older people or people who have some kind of sickness. And so if everybody washes their hands, then a lot of people will stay healthier. 
you know, and then you just leave it to that child. Like, well, do you want to be the person who helps other people, weaker people to, be, you know, people at risk to be healthier? And then it's up to that child. Or you can make it some kind of game. Like, let's pretend we're surgeons and we're scrubbing up mm. before surgery, you know, or like, how fast can you do mm. it? Making it into a game, something that the child chooses to do. With something like not biting your sister, that is something where um, information consequences choice. You know, people who bite can't be around other people because it's just too distracting and it's too mm. hurtful and it's not the way people treat each other. These are the consequences if you're going to bite and then you just let the child decide and you have to let those negative consequences fall. Like if you're like, well, if you bite your sister one more time, we're not going to go to Disney World. That has to be what happens. You have to let that negative consequence fall on the child. Mm. Remember that if you are pushing them to do something, nagging them to do something, reminding them to do something, you might make them more likely to resist. And so they might be even less likely to clean up their room or practice the guitar or finish their homework if you keep reminding them to do it. Right. And so and this is true for anybody dealing with rebels, adults dealing with rebels. If they're not doing something, even though you keep very nicely reminding them to do it, you may be the very reason that they're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, good luck to Dawn. Yes, good luck. Okay, Gretchen, next we have a voicemail from Katie. Hi, this is Katie from Bristol, Tennessee. I have a question about workplace relations. I am an obliger, and I discovered that I believe I work for a questioner. And I found that I think I serially work for questioners, and it has led to a lot of frustration because as an obliger, I want to oblige, but questioners make me feel that I have not obliged by continuing to ask questions about what I think I have completed. So I've been very happy to discover this framework because it's helping me to at least see the intended reason behind the questions as not a personal questioning of me, but more just something that they do. So I wondered if you had any other thoughts about different tendencies in the workplace and how especially dynamics between supervisors and uh, supervisees might play out given those things. But it's been very helpful to me to say she's not questioning me. She's just a questioner. Thanks. Well, I think this is one of the biggest things in terms of the tendencies, dealing with people at work. Yeah. Well, and and the thing that, as Katie says, that it can be helpful is once you understand the tendencies, and you said this earlier, like, you don't take it as personally, because you're like, well, they're not attacking me, or this isn't aimed at me. This is just an expression of a general personality quality that they have. And so it seems, it, it doesn't seem like it's aimed at you personally, and so it's easier to handle. But this is a really important question, and people ask this all the time, which is, how do you think about managing across teams or up and down a chain when people have different tendencies and therefore different expectations and sort of different patterns that come up that can sometimes cause problems? Yeah. So what's the approach, Gretch? Do you ask everybody in your office to take the quiz and then (laughs) sort of have a discussion? I've gotten lots of people at work to take it. They love it. Actually, I've heard from a lot of people where they have done that and then they all they discuss amongst themselves. But so just to her point, like, how can how could you manage this? Well, one thing I would say is that what she found is something that often is an issue with questioners. People this is a problem people have with questioners and questioners experience it as something that is a challenge, which is their questioning, which is very well intentioned and in their mind perfectly justified and and actually beneficial to everyone, 
can be perceived as undermining, obstructionist, disrespectful, not being a team player. I've heard from questioners who are like, I got fired from a boss who said I wasn't a team player, but I feel like my contribution to the team is being like, well, why are we doing it this way? And isn't there a better way to do it? So questioners are puzzled why everybody else just goes along without questioning. And then the people around them can sometimes get very frustrated and drained, which it sounds like Katie was being frustrated and drained by people's constant questioning. So part of it is just understanding what the tendencies are and why a particular combination might create this this conflict or this potential conflict. Uh, Another way where this comes up a lot is with accountability. So obligers need outer accountability to be able to meet expectations, outer expectations and inner expectations. They need accountability. This is like the biggest thing from the four tendencies. If you're an obliger, and you're trying to meet an expectation, especially an inner expectation, what you need is outer accountability. Yeah. As I've said many times, I need a deadline. Yeah. When Sarah and I have to do something, our first question is, when is this due? When is this due? We yes. want a date. You know, if we don't have a date, then that that's like no time. Here's the part where understanding the tendencies can be really helpful. An upholder or a questioner when dealing with you and Sarah might think that they're making your life easier by saying, well, there's no deadline here. Mm-hmm. They're not making your life easier. They're making your life harder. They're actually obstructing your work process by refusing to commit to a deadline. You need a deadline to do your best work. And so if somebody is managing you, they need to give you that deadline. And so I think for an upholders and questioners, that can be really valuable to see, like, just because I don't need an accountability structure doesn't mean that other people don't need it. Um, Also, sometimes upholders and questioners can be judgmental when other people struggle to meet inner expectations, like rebels and obligers sometimes are like, oh, I know I really want to do this, but I'm just not doing it. And upholders and questioners can sometimes be like, well, why do you keep talking about it and not doing it? You know, uh, in a kind of a judgmental way. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers. So you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. Here's a really interesting question from Bethany, who's a rebel. This is Bethany from Orange County, California. I am calling with a rebel question. I took the quiz. I'm totally a rebel. I think I embrace the rebel identity to a certain extent. But when it comes to weight loss, I really struggle because I feel like as much as I say I want to lose weight, there's this part of my rebel tendency that's saying, I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want. If I don't want to exercise, I don't have to go. And it feels like that's sabotaging me. So it feels like that's self-sabotage. And I'm wondering, how do I work with my rebel tendency to actually 
achieve this goal that I say is really important to me, but my behavior is suggesting otherwise. Well, Gretch, I feel like this is one of the most common, you know, problems that we all face is like, I want to lose weight and I'm not able to. And it's not surprising that rebels would have trouble losing weight, just like most of us do. Mm hmm. Um, well, it's this is a great example of why it's really, really helpful to know your tendency, because the kind of strategies that would work for all four tendencies would be very different. So so let's say she wants to lose weight, which she does. So Bethany wants to lose weight and she's a rebel. So one, the first thing I would say to her is to focus on her identity. What is it that she wants? What is it that she chooses? And what is her identity? So she might say, like, my identity is of a strong, healthy person. And as an expression of that identity, I want to go through my day and showing people what is a strong, healthy, vigorous person mm. eat? How do they behave? That's the kind of person that I am. Now, kind of on the opposite, you think about the rebel dislike of being controlled or mm. being trapped. So this is where rebels have thoughts like, I'm not going to be drawn in by the junk food industry with their shiny packages. I'm not going <laughs> to get addicted to fast food with their flashing lights and their good deals. You know, I'm not addicted to sugar. I'm not going to eat that junk. They can't fool me. I'm free. I've broken free from, you know, it's your whole thing, Elizabeth, about I'm free from French fries. Mm -hmm. I'm not controlled. I'm not addicted. I don't have a craving for it because I'm free from it. I can say goodbye to it. Everybody said I couldn't quit sugar. Watch me. Everybody said I couldn't give up junk food. Well, I'm going to show them. You know, it's that feeling of like, I, I'm going to resist control. I'm not going to get addicted. I'm going to do what I want. And I think it's reframing. Like you're saying, like she says, my rebel tendency is saying I can eat whatever I want yes. whenever I want. It's like, well, you can eat whatever you want, whatever you want. So just say I want to eat asparagus. Yes. You know, and you'll eat asparagus. I mean, it's really about how you view it if you're a rebel. Exactly. 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 That is exactly right. Now, and here, like playing into that. Um, I heard from a rebel who had this thing that she did, which was that she would identify some little thing that was kind of like off limits that she felt like she wasn't supposed to have. And she would eat that first thing in the day. And then the rest mm. of the day, she'd be like, I can do whatever I want. And I had half a brownie for breakfast. So, huh, huh. and then she would eat mm. healthily the whole rest of the day because she's like, I've shown even myself. I can mm. do whatever I want. But I've done that. And that's enough for me. And now I choose to eat a different way. But I think you're exactly right. The key thing, and you, you, you zipped right in on it, is I can eat whatever I want whenever I want. And she needs to, like, it's, the thing is, like, that's what I want. Because for, for a rebel, that is the most compelling thing. I'm doing it because this is what I want. This is what I choose. So you can see why something like, well, you need to follow your doctor's orders. That's not mm -hmm. going to be compelling to a rebel. Right. Gretch, here is a question from Sarah, who's an obliger. She says, recently, my office has started enforcing a policy that all employees have to show our ID badges to the security guard when we enter the building. This feels utterly pointless since the security guards know me and we have other more serious security concerns that are being handled with less caution. I resent having to dig through my bag every morning, but I also refuse to wear my badge openly for reasons I can't quite identify. Is this an example of obliger rebellion? And what can I do to feel less resentful every morning? See, that's interesting to me as an obliger because I would have no problem showing my badge. <laughs> 
Well, Obliger Rebellion pops up for different people in different ways. And Obliger Rebellion is is a very striking pattern among Obligers where they will meet, meet, meet an expectation, but then suddenly they will snap and sort of decide, like, this I will not do. And sometimes it's something little, like showing a badge, and something, sometimes it's big, like, I'm going to divorce you or I'm going to quit this job. An obliger rebellion is provoked when an obliger is feeling like the weight of expectations is unreasonable, whether it's because they're being exploited by other people who are taking advantage of their obligerness, when they're feeling like they're not being listened to, when expectations are unrealistically high, or here where it's just like the expectation seems silly. It's like, you're asking me to do this. It's just dumb. Mm -hmm. Why are you making me go through this dumb charade? So what can she do to feel less resentful about it? Because she's going to have to do it. She's going to have to do it. And I think one of the things is this is one of these things where you just have to kind of wrap your mind around the reality and say to yourself, I have to do it. It's an expectation that I can't get out of. And I'm just like making myself crazy um, by by resisting it. And um, it's hard because once obliger rebellion sets in, it's it, it, it's it's very hard to stop it. Mm-hmm. But another thing, this is an example of um, of a strategy that would work for this obliger who's experiencing obliger rebellion. It probably would also help a lot with questioners and maybe even rebels and upholders, which is if the management company explained, like maybe had a memo about why are we asking you to do this? We've had a rash of thefts. We've had a disgruntled employee try to return to a workplace, something like that. So the people are like, oh, I get why I'm being asked to do this. So the expectation doesn't seem silly or unnecessary. I mean, it's very true of questioners, but it's also true of everyone. We all feel better about an expectation when it when it seems justified, when it doesn't seem arbitrary or unnecessarily high. Um, so maybe she should say to the management company, if you're going to ask us to do this, I want a little bit of explanation. I also think that being an obliger, you know, sometimes you channel all of your frustration yes. into yes. some tiny thing. Yes. And it's like she's yes. really it's kind of a safe place yes. to be resentful because the security guard like snapping at the security guard isn't going to get her fired. Yes. So it's like recognize within herself, you know, what is she frustrated about and why is it coming out, you know, here in an arbitrary place? That is an excellent point. That is an excellent point. Yes. Is this is this become the focus of an obliger rebellion that's actually kind of floating off of some other kind of tension um, or conflict that that's that's excellent. Well, good luck, Sarah. That's I I feel your pain because I really get annoyed, as Elizabeth knows, um, with security measures. So I'm right there with you. (laughs) Gretch, here's a question from someone who's having trouble with their friend who's an obliger. She says, a friend who is an obliger is always worried about her budget and talks about her small bank account constantly. She's tried different accountability tactics to stay on budget, but none have struck a chord yet. One weekend, she was at a bar for a friend's birthday party and sensed that no one was super into the party spirit. So she bought a round for all 10 plus people they were out with. She was telling me this to illustrate why sticking to a budget was so hard. I sensed the party was going to be a flop, so I had to step in, she said. It was as if she wanted validation that her unaffordable bar tab was okay because she saved everyone at the party. Oh, my gosh. I have so many thoughts. So she has dueling uh, sort of expectations. 
Yes. You know, and this this question really reminds me of a lot of things that I talked about in my book, Better Than Before, about uh, habit change, because one of the loopholes that we there are 10 loopholes that we use to let ourselves off the hook when we're going to break a habit that we're trying to form. And this is the concern for others loophole. This is I can't do this because of my concern for other people. And as you can imagine, this is a loophole that has special power for obligers because of their their uh, responsiveness to outer expectations. So part of it, I would say, is to just recognize this is a loophole. This is a concern for others loophole. And this also illustrates something interesting, which is very frustrating for obligers, which is that the other tendencies are often not sympathetic to an obliger's plight. An obliger Mm -hmm. will say something like, Oh my gosh, I stayed up until four in the morning finishing the report for you. And they're going to think that somebody, that their boss is going to be like, that's amazing. Thank you so much for pulling out all the stops. And instead, an upholder like me might say, like, well, you know what? You really need to manage yourself better because you need your sleep if you're Mm going to do good work. And a questioner would be like, well, why couldn't you do it last week? You said you were going to work on it then. You know, why? Mm -hmm. And a rebel's like, well, do whatever you want. I would just hand it in late, but it's fine if you want to do it that way. And and an obliger's like, what? Nobody appreciates the enormous length that I went to. So often other people are not sympathetic to an obliger, as this friend is expressing. But but in terms of like, well, what could the friend do? She's, uh, she says that her friend has tried different accountability structures. Now, different accountability structures work differently for different obligers. So you have to experiment to find out what works for you. So I would keep saying, if this is an obliger, it's like, try the app, try the group, try the automatic savings plan, try the I'm saving for uh, this vacation and everybody's going to be disappointed if I can't go on it. Mm. If I'm saying yes to you, I'm saying no to somebody else who's just as important. Um, there's tons and tons and tons of accountability structures. That was one of my favorite things in writing the Four Tendencies book was just like collecting all the brilliant mm-hmm. accountability structures obligers have come up with. You have to try a lot sometimes to find the one that will work for a particular obliger. But that's the answer. It's accountability. You can also do a thing, um, and I don't think this is accountability, but maybe it's just a little trick of if you're going out for an evening like that um, or going shopping, only bring cash. A hundred percent. The best no, account you can't spend it. The best accountability mechanism is necessity or just, you know, impossibility. It's like you're not going to eat the ice cream if it's not in the fridge and you're not going to spend the money if it's not in your pocket. Yeah, that is that's an excellent, excellent point. Yes. Never overlook the obvious. solution. Yeah. <laughs> OK, and Gretchen, this question comes from Pauline in London, she says. My problem is I've recently realized that my people-pleasing tendencies are having a negative impact on my dating life. I sometimes find myself going too fast in relationships or agreeing to do things that are inconvenient for me, like always going to his house or meeting up near his work, even though this means lots of extra travel for me, rather than meeting midway. I appreciate that relationships are often about compromise, but find myself sidelining my own needs and end up feeling resentful. How do I balance my need to please others while respecting what I want? So Pauline is clearly an obliger, Gretch, and this is a juicy obliger problem that I have that we haven't faced yet. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, and it sounds like Pauline has a really good handle on why... Uh, she's getting into this pattern of suiting other people's convenience um, to her own detriment. And so the first thing is to just acknowledge that this pattern I- is in play so that you can figure out. So one of the things is, OK, how do you create accountability? How do you create accountability to yourself to not being too accommodating of someone else's needs? 
That sounds very abstract, but actually there's very specific things you can do. First, what you can do is you can think about your future self. A lot of times obligers can be accountable to their future selves. I think this is something that works for you, Elizabeth, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you sometimes think about your future self? Yes, yes. So she could say, like, well, will future Pauline wish that I had driven all the way there or gone all their way there? Or will the future Pauline wish that I had made a different plan? So that's to the future self. Or you could maybe imagine that you're giving advice to a friend. And like if this friend called and said, he says that I should do X, Y, Z, should I do it? You would say like, well, what would your answer be? You'd be like, no way. That's just unreasonable. And then sometimes by sort of imagining yourself as this third person, this other friend, then you're able to take the advice yourself. Or you might literally call a friend or a family member or something and say like, do you think I should do this? I do this as an upholder because I tend to be too responsive to outer expectations. Mm. So I'll call a questioner like my husband and say, do you think I should do this? And a lot of times they'll be like, no, why would you do that? Uh-huh. And I'm like, right, I don't have to do that. So sometimes you can check in with someone else. Yeah. And I mean, in the world of dating, Gretch, uh, I mean, I think it's safe to say that it, it doesn't even help you no. to be too accommodating. <laughs> it makes yeah. you seem, you know, thirsty, as they say. So I think it's... If she has a friend who can who can sort of say, is this going to help your, you know, your relationship or really ultimately hurt your relationship because you seem too accommodating and that ultimately is unappealing, that might help her set these rules for herself. Exactly, because it's all about building the relationship that she wants. But then at the end, Pauline makes a comment, which I think is very, very telling. She says, I find myself sidelining my own needs and end up feeling resentful. So what is this, the big warning sign? It is for the approach of obliger rebellion. And the fact is when obligers start feeling this feeling of resentment and being taken advantage of and being pushed too far, eventually that can really blow up a relationship. And so you want to recognize that if you let that situation continue, you might blow up the relationship entirely. And so even to protect a relationship, and this is a new relationship, so maybe it's not as important, but like, let's say you have a friend of 20 years who's driving you crazy because she keeps calling you in the middle of the night and wanting to have really long conversations. You might need to say like, in order to preserve and continue our friendship, which is so important to both of us, we need to change this because it's like, I have to, I have to do this or else risk that the whole thing might Mm. be destroyed. So that's another form of accountability, because I don't want to have to end this, but that's what can sometimes happen with Obliger Rebellion. Well, that is a great question from Pauline, and I hope she lets us know how her dating life progresses now that she is aware of these issues and working on them. But Elizabeth, before we, we, we end, I want to give a shout out to some listeners who, in response to episode 117 and our, uh, our Try This at Home of writing a haiku, they wrote tendency-related haiku, which I thought was mm. fantastic. Jamie wrote, for reasons I think you'll understand in a moment, I never took the four tendencies quiz until today. My results inspired my haiku. Dubious was I, quiz avoided for two years. Silly questioner. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Yeah. And then Gretchen, um, we got a haiku from Sheila Melody, who uh, is one of my trainers at Inform Fitness. Yes. Um, shout out to Inform Fitness. <laughs> Her haiku is, Gretchen's tendencies, tools to help us understand others and ourselves. Excellent. Thanks to all of our listeners who submitted questions about the four tendencies. There were so many, we couldn't even begin to get to everyone. <laughs> Where can people go if they want to continue this discussion? 
Well, we did some some episodes that were dedicated to each of the four tendencies. So if you want to learn more about upholders, that up, that's episode 35. Uh, for questioners, episode 36. For obligers, episode 37. And for rebels, episode 38. I will put links to all this in the show notes for uh, happiercast.com slash 120. Also, I have my book that's coming out in September. That's called the four tendencies, um, showing a terrible lack of originality. Um, and so I go into all of this in much, much greater detail in that book. So that's coming out in September. And I will I love it when people pre-order. So I will put a link to the pre-order information in the show notes. And I also have this better app. Um, and the better app you can reach if you just search in an app store for better Gretchen Rubin or you, it's better app. Dot us if you want to do it if you want to search and it's free it's free at first we it was subscription then i was like what the heck let's make it free so it's free and this is a place for people just talking about anything related to the tendencies there's accountability groups for people who want accountability groups there's all kinds of questions that people pose or examples that people pose if i see like a, a like a tendency on tv i post it like oh hey look you know obliger spotting in the news or whatever there's just like a lot of really fun, lively conversation there. So if you're intrigued by the four tendencies and want to go deeper, that's a place where you'll be talking to a bunch of other people that know all about the four tendencies. So in one one of those avenues will get you more information about the four tendencies. All right, time for demerits and gold stars. And Elizabeth, what is your obliger-related demerit? Okay, Gretchen. Well, you know, um, I made a plan a while back to hike um, on the weekends, either Saturday or Sunday morning to get up while Jack and Adam were lounging in bed and go hiking because I do love to hike. And um, I kind of have had a, um, I've gotten to, to a point where I've stopped hiking and I real well, I haven't stopped entirely, but I've stopped doing my early morning hike on the weekend because what I realized is I set up in my mind two potential hiking buddies and neither of them have really been able to follow through. Mm. And I have to say, I didn't actually propose this to them as something. I just kind of assumed they would want to do it, which mm-hmm. was my first mistake. Um, and so now I haven't been hiking. Well, so this points out something that comes up with a lot of obligers, which is, and this is why I'm a big fan of accountability groups, like the kind of groups people form on the Better app uh, or in in real life, um, rather than accountability partners. Because with an accountability partner, if the other partner gets distracted or gets too busy or loses interest, then the whole thing kind of falls apart. If it's like the two of you are working on your, on your PhDs and then the other person is like not getting any work done, then that might affect mm-hmm. you. So this is why sometimes it's good to have a paid accountability person, like a trainer or a coach who's Mm. like paid to play that role for you or to have a group where there's just more there's more um, consistency in a group because if one person wanders Mm. off, you still have the rest of the group to rely on you. And also, I think people tend to feel more accountability when there's more people. But also maybe with these buddies, you didn't set it up in that way. So they didn't realize that they were kind of letting you down in this bigger sense by not following through, it was more like, oh, there's this fun thing that we're not doing instead of like, oh, we're really committing to doing this for X, Y, Z reasons. And so it matters if I don't show. Is, you think? Yes, I think I just approached it too casually. I didn't really set up a structure. Um, and you're right. I think the group thing is a big issue. Like, 
really what I should do is try to have five people who like to meet at 8 a.m. on Saturday. And then if two of us show up, great. Yes. So maybe I'll work on that. I'll kind of put out some feelers. Instead of a book group, it's a hiking group. Yeah. That could be fun. Okay, Gretchen, let's go on to your gold star. Do you have um, an upholder-related gold star? Well, I have to say that I want to give a gold star to the like the even the notion of the tendencies because one of the things that has tremendously benefited me is I just had no insight into the pros and cons of being an upholder and how annoying other people could find it <laughs> and um, how like I just didn't understand other people's perspectives. And I feel like studying this um, and maybe the gold star is to the framework, but it's also to all the people who have weighed in, who have communicated with mm. me their questions and their examples and their illustrations. I just feel like I have such a better understanding of how other people see the world. And it's not like one way's right and one way's wrong. It's just like if we see things differently, we're just going to have different experiences. And um, so I just feel like that has given me such just been just such a benefit to me. So gold star to everybody who's weighed in on the four tendencies. Yeah. And I would just say as your sister, I can attest to the fact that I feel like you are more empathetic and less judgmental <laughs> um, now than you were before the four tendencies. So I'm grateful for the four tendencies. Excellent. Um, well, that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Think about your tendency and the tendencies of the people around you and try to incorporate that information into your plans, into your actions. Um, let us know what you learned, if you tried anything, what worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Listen to her new podcast, By the Book. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. As always, if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. That really helps us a lot. helps other listeners find our stuff. And just to remind you of the resources, if you want to go deeper into the four tendencies, uh, the Better app is the free app that's all about the tendencies. You can search Better Gretchen Rubin in the App Store or go to betterapp.us online. The quiz, if you still don't know your tendency, is at happiercast.com slash quiz. And this is just like a little fun thing because Elizabeth is obsessed with mugs. We made mugs for each tendency, and each tendency has the motto of that tendency. And I will put a link to that in the show notes, or you can go to the shop button on the GretchenRubin.com site, and you can see the, the mugs. They're really fun. <laughs> I love Elizabeth bought me an upholder mug. Yes, I love that. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Thank you.